GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, and I believe that on-chain contests are going to change the world. That's why I'm carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Welcome back to another episode, everybody. Today, we have with us David Phelps, the co-founder of Jokerate, on the show to talk all about what they are building and what are on-chain contests. And is David the anti-token guy? He's been labeled the anti-token guy on Twitter recently because he believes in a post-token future. What does that mean? What does that look like? David is also the co-founder of EcoDAO. He also has an awesome Substack where he writes all about Web3. He's an amazing Twitter personality. He's a bit of a shit poster. He's always putting out controversial opinions. But today is really all about understanding the problems with on-chain governance. And we've created these problems because we have connected our financial token to our on-chain governments, which basically means that in most communities, whoever has the most money has the most voting power because you have the most tokens. Now, some communities have gone in the direction of quadratic voting, which helps the problem a little bit, but not fully. And we're going to talk about that. So David is trying to solve that. He's trying to solve that. And he's also trying to solve a bigger problem of, okay, so if we can get governance and voting or what he refers to as on-chain contests, and he'll explain what that means, if we can bring that on chain right now, that's great for all of the communities that have an on-chain presence. But what about the communities that don't? What about the communities that are big on Twitter or big on Facebook or big somewhere else that's not on chain, it's just online, they haven't made that migration? Well, they need a simple way to set up a contest, I put contest in air quotes, a simple way that they can get their community to engage in a vote where the first action they take is not necessarily on chain. There's something else at play there. So we're going to break this all down in today's show. This is an episode that I think everybody needs to listen to because this comes back to the core principles of Web3, which is that we need to create a meaningful way and a meaningful system then that enables users more control. Because in Web 2, users don't have enough control. We are the product. But in Web 3, we put control back in the user's hands. But the first way we've done that is we ended up just so far, we put control in the rich user's hands. Well, we need to put control in everyone's hands. And Joke Race is a platform that does that. Everybody, you're going to enjoy this show. We're just going to take a quick second to hear from our sponsors and then... We'll get going with David from Joke Race. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right. Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities like creators sharing revenue with fans. 
I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph to create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. David, what's going on, my man? Welcome to Web3 Academy. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Recently on Twitter, you said humans don't require tokens to make decisions together. In Is that history, possible? I don't know. In the, history, in the history of humans, there was actually a point in history where people got together and made decisions about things without voting with tokens. And it's like, in today's era, it's very hard to believe that we ever lived in you know such a primitive time like that. But it's true. It's true. <laughs> so like, what are you saying or what do you believe that is leading you to be, you've been labeled on Twitter a little bit recently for being like the anti-token guy. Is that fair? Why are you being labeled as the anti-token guy? I don't necessarily think you're the anti-token guy. I think yeah. you just have a different view on the way tokens should be used for governance or for voting. But tell us. I, I have a friend, I don't know if I should say who it is, but a, a friend who's an amazing founder. And, and what my friend said to me is every good founder, your job as a founder is to become a meme. I think this is just such a brilliant idea that you know, everyone can just encapsulate you. So I'm not actually anti-token, but, you know, it's very boring for me not to be anti-token, right? It's way more interesting and way more memeable if I'm anti-token. So we'll, we'll run with the, with the anti-token label, even though I think there are very good use cases for tokens and we do need to have them. And even though I'm building a product that depends on tokens as awards, right? And so tokens are pretty essential to what I'm building myself. The anti-token thing, I think very much comes from specifically tokens and governance, and that use case and wondering, you know, within decision making, really, do we want to have this system that, you know, incentivizes plutocracy or just is plutocracy in which people who buy the most of something have the most power? And is that actually the best way to make decisions? And it's funny that that even is a question. <laughs> <laughs> so let's reframe it then. You love to be the anti-token. I love that. Yeah, profile. let's meme me. Let's meme me here for for the like lean into lean into the anti-token meme for yeah. just basically getting a lot introduce all the complexity of my thought to something that is just like you know sensational, right? right? But you're really like your view is more, and like the title of this episode is all about post-token, yes. right? And post-token. Okay, I know you you wrote a great thread recently when you came back from ECC, and you talked about how we are in this, we're stepping into this post-token era and you gave some examples of Optimism and Ave and and some others that Boys Club that yep. are leaning towards governance and voting without tokens. Yep. So, and obviously you just launched V3 of Joker Ace, which we're going to talk about later right. in this episode. But before we talk about Joker Ace, give us the like the history lesson quickly on like what went wrong with tokens? Why do we not want to use tokens for governance? You mentioned plutocracy. And yeah. what are the, the sort of the pillars of the post-token world? Part of the reason I think that tokens took on the place they did was because DAOs and other tokenized communities, I'm going to do the generous read here. The generous read is right. These were set up to basically imitate corporations. A less generous read would be that these were set up for DCs to get really rich. 
But like, let's run with the charitable read that people really had good intentions here. And so, you know, as in a traditional company, the people who own more shares of the company have more power. And, you know, it makes sense because the more you know, that they own of it, the more dividends that they should get, right? And so they have more financially at stake. They're literally putting up a financial stake in order to get financial reward, in theory. In practice, companies actually do not work that way. The way that companies work is that they have preferred shares and common shares of stock. And like normally when you are getting stock, you're not getting governance power anywhere close to, you know, what others do. And so the governance piece is actually already decoupled from the financial piece, right? Within corporations as well. And so DAOs, these communities took a big step backwards and said, no, let's put those back together. Like, let's put the financial governance piece back together. And nobody questioned it. This was just taken, including me, right? Like, I also, big proponent of DAOs 2021, 2022, did not question this. And part of the reason I didn't question it was I assumed it was just a limitation of the technology. I was just thinking, yeah, you know, like, this is, tokens are, you know, the fundamental building block of crypto. And so if you're going to build communities, you have to build it off of this kind of data wrapper, which is which is a token. And it turns out that's actually totally not true. Like there are all sorts of ways you can pass data, use data, store data in blockchains that are not tokens. And it can be the basis for for community building as well. And so I think like big argument would just be, yeah, plutocracy, right? You don't want people being able to just buy a bunch of power in order to do whatever they want. But more practically speaking, I think if, if you want to just like nail an issue that will always happen. It's that a token represents a share of a treasury. So if a DAO is worth a million dollars and there's a million tokens, then each one of those tokens is worth a dollar, right? And what will happen at some point is token prices will go up and down based on factors and who's selling and market volatility, et cetera. And at some point or another, the token price will fall below the amount it represents in the treasury. And when that happens, it creates an arbitrage opportunity, right? Where now you have a token that's selling for 80 cents that's worth $1. And so what's going to happen? The richest people will come in, they will seize that token, they will take it over so that they now can take and pay themselves out $1 of the treasury, right? And they will make 20 cents on that. And so this is happening with nouns right now. This has happened you know, with Aragon in the past. It happens almost inevitably to every single DAO because you've created this arbitrage, in arbitrage incentive, right? for people to come along, take the tokens, and then effectively have your worst players be the people who have taken it over. And then from there, we can also think about, you know, other incentives around tokens where there's like airdrop issues and, and who receives it. I personally think a lot of thought and time is, is spent on having fair distribution of tokens. And that makes sense. Sure, you know, don't put that in the hands of airdrop promers, put that in the hands of meaningful contributors. But in the end, it won't matter if rich people are going to be able to just buy out that token over time. Because, yeah, initially you might get in the hands of good people, but eventually it's just going to be the whales who own it, and they're the ones governing everything. And unless you're, you're, you're building something that is strictly based on the financial profit going to major you know, financial holders, it's really, really hard to make the case that you want plutocracy. And that is actually the best system for you to make decisions. Yeah, well, and it, it makes sense that we've ended up in this position because, as you said, so many projects basically did not pay attention to this and said, okay, let's just focus on how we can get our token out to our community, but let's not think about the governance side of it. Let's just allow right. token holders to govern. And we pretty quickly realized that, oh, wait a second, there's a mismatch here because the people that want to purchase the tokens all have financial incentive. That's great because that's what we're building on the financial side. Tokens serve an incredible pur purpose, which is why you're not the anti-token guy. 
You're just saying tokens aren't the greatest for governance in their current use. Am I correct? Yeah. And if you want a more cynical read on the situation, you say that you have a million dollars of the treasury, right? And like, let's say you have US dollars in your treasury. Now you print a million tokens that you stand for it. Well, effectively now there's actually $2 million of value that's out there because there's the million dollars of the token and there's the million dollars in the treasury and you've created all this value that you now can sell, at which point the token price will then pump as you know, you start to release it, you know, hopefully if, if you're careful about only releasing, let's say 1% of it, and then you effectively are now getting greater value for what the treasury is worth off of this thing. And so it's a really effective mechanism, you know, if we want to be a little bit more cynical for people just to make a quick buck. How do we build a better system? What is the, your recommendation for building a better system? Right. The fun thing is it depends on the needs of your community. You know, it depends how big is your community, you know? Who runs your community? What is the goals of your community? Like all of these things are really going to change things. Even if you have a token, there are ways of doing governance with a token that are, I think, much more interesting than like one token, one vote. So the common one that was being held up for 2021, 2022 is quadratic voting, which is effectively like you just take the square root of the number of tokens someone holds and that's their voting power. And what that means is that you get diminishing returns as you have more and more tokens. So the whales, right, are going to not have a hundred times as much power as the minnows. They're only going to have 10 times as much power, right? Because you take the square root of the hundred. That's effectively it, yeah. And, and I just find that, like, it's, it's not my favorite solution. You know, I think it's, it's still just, like, it's keeping the issue, but just mitigating it. Um, but it's not solving it. I think if, if you want to play with tokens in interesting ways, what you could think about is creating incentives for the token through governance. So this is getting ahead of myself and what we can do. But like, if you want to allow less people to participate in a contest or in governance and say, it's not one token, one vote. It's how many tokens you have times the number of days that you've held that token, mm -hmm. right? Now what happens? Well, the people who held the token all along for the very beginning have way more power, right, in the system. And so that's really nice because you have your OGs who have actually been there from the start having more power. Second, any whale who wants to come in and try to do that arbitrage trade that I talked about, where they seize a bunch of tokens in order to distribute the treasury, can't do that. Because they, you know, even if they take a ton of tokens, if they haven't held onto it for years, they're not going to be able to have the power to rug the treasury, right? And so it provides a huge, you know, uh, protection there. And third of all, it actually incentivizes people to buy and hold tokens. It's telling you, look, it's not just about buying the token, it's about holding it that actually matters, which is, is creating a better incentive for people who really care about token models and for actually increasing the price of tokens. Even if your mind is totally lost in like the whole point of governance is to increase token value, <laughs> like there are better incentives that you can create to do this by moving away from like a one token, one vote system, right? So that would be like one example that I'm interested in, which is like you can actually improve, I think, tokenomics by moving away and doing something like, you know, token times duration. But there's all sorts of other things you can do too. Like you can think if I'm a DeFi protocol, like maybe I want to give power to my voters based on the liquidity they've provided. And then the more liquidity they provided or, or liquidity they provided times duration they provided it. So you have the same kind of you know, mechanism I described before. And now, now you're consistently giving power to the people who are providing most liquidity. Because if you go back and you remember the, issue, the other issue with tokens is that you can distribute it once really fairly but then over time, right, it's going to change. It's just going to get eaten up by, by the whales. What's nice with the kind of system I'm talking about is not just that you moved away from tokens. It's that you consistently update according to who your most valuable people are at any given time. So the governance, right, decision making, et cetera, is all based on 
who currently has provided the most liquidity or who has provided the most liquidity for the longest time, right? right? Those kinds of systems start to become really interesting. You can also do things like recurring contests based on like people who submitted in the past and won or they, you know, now they get to participate in both. And so you create this like expanding pool of like a core council of meaning people, meaningful people in your community where the people who have gotten votes are now able to give votes, right, as well. And so I think like those are kind of the systems that we're thinking a lot about in use cases. We'll get to what I actually built, but it's it's totally agnostic. What I love about it is we all got really excited about DAOs. We were in the uh, DAO summer to use that term, but yeah, everything should be a DAO and we should go in that direction. And it didn't work. And a lot of DAOs failed. And <laughs> that's okay. That's how you learn, right? Like it doesn't mean the DAOs can't succeed. But the initial belief, which made a lot of sense, was that communities should have more control. And we should yeah. be able to involve our communities in our decision making. And I don't think anybody on the planet disagrees with that. That is a simple statement that everybody can get behind. Now, the mechanics of that were, okay, the only way we, we knew how to do it was to do it through tokens. And those tokens had a financial value and you've shown that that doesn't work. So we need to decouple those. Yeah. You look like and you want to jump in and say something. I was going to say, it, it, the only way you could do it was through token voting. And so I just you know went on a whole rampage against the token part of that. But I would also like want to single out Voting is not necessarily the only way that people can have voice as well in communities. Like actually submitting things to vote on is often a way that, you know, you could have power too. And so that was, again, going back to my own origins with what we built, like thinking, you know, what's the system where you're letting people also contribute proposals for other people to vote on, right? Without having to buy their way in, basically. Without having to buy their way in. And so I've said this before. It's like in America, we live in, in this system with 300 million people where the only form of expression that you have in participating in politics is your vote. And that makes sense because with 300 million people, not everybody could be running for president, contributing, proposing something for everyone else to vote on. At that scale, you can't do it. But when you have, you know, 10 people or 100 people, like letting them actually submit the proposals for everyone else to vote on is giving them voice in a way that you can't do in these giant sized so-called democracies. Right. So I think we were imitating corporate governance in some ways really badly. I think we're also imitating like political governance really badly and just assuming that voting was the only way that you could have say. And so the token voting is problematic in both parts of that phrase. Problematic, I think, in the token part, but I think it's also problematic in the voting part, which is to say voting is not an interesting expression of your voice. Like you actually speaking and saying something and contributing something yeah. is an interesting expression. Yeah, you engaging in some way, you showing activity towards whatever that community is doing. And there's many ways that you can engage and show activity. And there's off-chain ways and there's on-chain ways. I think that sort of leads us into, let's lead into Joker Ace here, because yeah. it is a big task to say, okay, we should not use tokens for governance and yeah. there's a better way to do this. And- Joker Ace, which actually I got to ask first, where does the name Joker Ace come from? Yeah, so Joker Ace, I started this thing called JokeDAO was the in initial name in early 2022 and started throwing this thing called the Joke Race, actually using the mirror right race tool at that point. And the idea of the Joke Race at that point, or what I called the Joke Race, was that it was a weekly competition for terrible jokes. Actually, it's still going and it's still live and it's, I think, now been about 80 weeks and people still play this every week, which is amazing. I do not, but other people do. And so the idea was you contribute a terrible joke. And so everyone has to submit a terrible joke. 
And then if you have a joke token, you're using tokens, right? You get to vote on your favorite jokes. Now, the trick was if you won, if you voted on the winner, you would get more joke tokens to use the following week. Now, you can imagine the dynamic of this game. If you win, you know, if people all start putting on first place, they're going to see that everyone else is putting on first place. They're going to go on that one, too, because they know it's the winner. So what we did is we made sure only second place wins. First place never wins. It's only second place. So the idea is if you give too many votes, you use your tokens too much towards one idea, it's going to go too high and you're going to lose. And so you have to think about this whole investment strategy. Like, you know, do I do a 50-50 to ensure that I win, but I'm only winning with 50% of my votes? Or do I try to like, you know, put 100% towards a different option where I'm going to get maximum return, but this much more. And so the reason that I started this whole thing was because I had this theory that DAOs were really good at acquisition and really bad at retention. And the idea was that, you know, with tokens, anyone could buy in. And so you could airdrop people, you could get them into your community more easily than ever. But then there was nothing to do inside the community. You couldn't contribute. You had no say. You had no games to play. You had no social connections. And you had no collaboration. And so the idea was like, what if we created this mechanism that would incentivize collusion, where if you really wanted to win this game every week, you would have to form a team with other people and combine your votes together in order for it to pass. And to say, yeah, in traditional democracy, we've always considered collusion to be this terrible thing. But actually, in a small group, the ability for people to come together, discuss with each other, negotiate, compromise, realize you know, together what they want is not only a good thing in of itself for governance, it also is what builds lasting social relationships because it creates teams. And so like, what if we can gamify this governance process to actually create teams? And the theory was, you know, will this start running its own? Will people form teams? And, and in fact, it happened that we had a bunch of people all form different teams that were competing against each other. It was all organic. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Like if, if you can set up the proper framework for things, people will create their own sub-communities through that. And like, maybe that's a more effective way for DAOs to run. And so it really came out of this like, you know, test using bad jokes of, of like, how can we create more meaningful communities by like letting people compete around something totally petty every single week. And so from there, yeah, it became Joke Race. And then, uh, then people just started, you know, we created a platform for it so that anyone could run their own contests like this as well with submissions of voting, which is always the idea. And then everyone just started calling them Joke Races. I wasn't calling them that. But they were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, create a joke race, et cetera. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I'll just call it joke races. So your branding was just done organically for you. It's yeah, it's done. And, and I mean, there is a beauty to all of this that, you know, everything we're talking about, like governance has absolutely been a joke. It's been 100% a joke. And so being able to acknowledge that in some ways and being able to have fun with that, I think is like really important for us as a brand too. Like we are not trying to take ourselves too seriously with any of this or say that any of this is the right canonical way to do it. This should be fun and it should be hilarious. And like there will be corruption if you want to call it that, but other people will call that compromise and negotiation. So mm -hmm. your side and that the joke is on you. <laughs> Pun intended. Okay, so you just launched V3 of Joke yep. Race, which is slightly different. It, it takes off a lot of the early features of joke race. Tell us about V3 and maybe you can give us some examples of how people would use this yeah. in their communities. So the way a contest works, when you, when you create a contest on our site, is you put a prompt out. People submit responses to the prompt. People vote in their favorite responses. And then if you want, you can add a rewards pool and the winners earn rewards from that. And so you can imagine you can use that however you want because you can decide who submits and who votes, right? So if you want to do like a hackathon through us, you let everybody submit, and then maybe just a core jury votes, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to do very traditional governance, you would flip that. 
you as a core team would put the proposal to your community and then you'd let all of them vote on it, right? So now you have a small team that's submitting, a bigger team that's voting, right? If you want to do stuff like what features do you want us to build? Maybe the same people submit and vote. Or maybe you want something where like a totally different community submits and then you vote, right? And so you can customize this however you want. And that was really important to us. Like, like let you customize who gets to submit, who votes within that. And so what's great with the B3 is like we've now enabled maximum customization by just using allow lists. So like you create an allow list for who gets to submit if you want, or you can open that up to anybody. I think you create an allow list for who votes and how much voting power they have. I'll give an example of like a joke race that was run recently. So like Li-Fi, which is a liquidity aggregator, really great company, went to their community and said, what features do you want us to build, right? And they put up an awards pool of $400 where each of the four winners got 25% of the rewards pool. So in other words, they each got $100. So for $400 they put up and they said, what features do you want us to build? They got like 30 or 40 people from their community running these like really thoughtful submissions being like, this is what we want. You know, like these are the features we need. Then they got them all to vote on it. So then they got a full prioritization of like, not just what the top feature is, right? Or the top four, but all of them. Like and who voted? Was it just the people that submitted or did they open it up beyond that? I think they opened up to their community. So I think they, it was it was anyone who has allowed us to from their discord and they had like a, some sort of bot mechanism to prevent bots on their discord. I think that's who they used. And I, I think I might be getting it wrong. But I think it was the same people submitted and voted for that one. And so then they had them, you know, all prioritize it. So now they have like this incredible data set, right? From their power users of like what they prioritize. Here's where it gets fun, right? Then you have people who go to social media because they want to win votes. They want to win this to get $100. So they're sharing this and they're talking about Li-Fi and why their feature is great, right? Like on social media, right? And so they're getting this like organic distribution, right? As well. Then, because this is fully on-chain, and so you can run these contests in any EVM chain you want, they're, they're getting full on-chain data so they can track, hey, who participated in this? How many votes did they get? The votes are attestations, right? That they provided something meaningful. They're a meaningful contributor, you know, contributor to the community. Who tends to vote in the same things? Like, who has aligned interests? Who voted on something that maybe, you know, one day is like a really major feature that is a game-changer for Li-Fi? Like, all of that is things that they can now track with their power users. So at later points... Maybe they want to give more governance power to those people. Maybe they want to do an airdrop, right? Like whatever they want to do, like they now have that data too, right? And then the final thing, and they didn't take advantage of this one, but but I think this is where it gets really interesting is like you could also set some sort of like incentives around how to get allow listed to participate. So you could be like, you have to provide it XYZ liquidity for us, you know, or you have to execute it XYZ swaps with us, right? And so now people have to like complete an action in order to participate to win rewards and they're incentivized to do that too. And you can even do that with the voting power as well, right? You can say, we're going to give more voting power to people, like we talked about this before, the more liquidity you provide it, the longer you've held the token, blah, blah, blah. And so you can start to create these like really interesting incentives around both who gets to participate and how much voting power they have. And those are like $400, right? You're giving a center for people to think about it, to prioritize their data, to like complete actions to be allow listed, to complete actions to get voting power, to share their on-chain reputation, right? It's like, and to market it on social that's like, I think, a, a really fun use case to think about. It's huge that it not only gives them a chance to participate. I find it very interesting that you use the word contest. Yeah. Like when I first started learning about Joke Race, yeah. I was like, I kept seeing you guys use the word contest. And I was, it's kind of a leap because when I think about a contest, I think about like sweepstakes and, Boy. you know, giveaways. Yeah. Right. But you're more you're more focused on governance and community engagement. What's the difference? So it's interesting that you're using the mechanics of a contest 
in order to create retention and create engagement because you know, this is what I'm guessing, you know that if you have a reward that people are more likely to participate. Is that the reason you're framing it around contests? And it's more fun, right? I think like you're focused on the financial incentive piece, which is by far the short-term incentive. But like, yeah, long-term, you know, like you think about U.S. elections and like how U.S. elections have, won, have run, they become totally gamified by the American populace, right? But like all turned it into a social status game in some ways about like who can bet on who's going to get it first, not even financial, but just like who can align themselves with who, who can like, you know, come together to form coalitions. It's become this very grassroots, almost Dow-like, you know, activity of people forming campaigns around candidates. Right. Which it was it was like in the 1700s too. like, you know, things things cycle. And so, yeah, I think it's, you know, when we're thinking about like why we're using the word contest is because it really emphasizes the social piece of it and the, you know, the financial piece and maybe the reputational piece as well. But practically speaking, there is no difference between governance and contest. Those are the same word. <laughs> okay. Think about it. Like any sort of governance you do is a contest, yeah. right? Whether it's a U.S. election. Is it governance or is it a contest? It's the exact same mechanism. People put together proposals and then they vote on them. And to have a contest doesn't mean there needs to be financial. No. It really makes me think about like high school students council, right? Of, you know, your books, the most popular person wins. And it's really everyone always joked that, you know, students council was a popularity contest, right? That was governance at that level. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's definitely, you, you know, we have a brand called Joke Race that uses a thing called contest. Like, we're trying to make this fun here. We're trying to, you know, make sure everyone does not fall asleep again, you know, with this boring iterative process of governance. But look, if you want to be boring with us, you are welcome to be boring with us. Like, we will let you be boring and we will encourage and incentivize your boring. That's all you want. That's totally doable. But I personally think that boringness is a very small subset of the kind of governance we're going to be seeing in the future. I love that perspective. Let's have fun. We need to have fun. It's so important. Okay, so you talked about how Joke Race allows you to incentivize users to submit proposals and then they want to spread that and you get more engagement in your governance, which I think is a great thing. I think another big part of what you guys are building in Joke Race is that this kind of goes back to this like anti-token view is yeah. that you don't need tokens anymore. Explain to us in what ways could you use Joke Race yeah. where you wouldn't be using tokens and yeah. you'd still be having a great, a great vote and great governance. The way it works on a technical level, I'm going to get technical for like a second. It's literally a spreadsheet. <laughs> like literally what you can do is you just take column A as your addresses and column B is the number of votes that each of those addresses gets. And you upload that and that is it from your side. What we do is we turn that into what's called a Merkle tree inside the smart contract, which is the contest, and then check it against those addresses. So the, the bigger point here is like everyone just assumed you tokens were the only way to vote. And we said, no, actually, they're on a smart contract level. You can do this 100% on chain voting without any tokens being involved. So I ran through some cases before of like some of the ways that you could set up voting power if you wanted to. Right. You could set it up based on liquidity provided or the number of swaps you performed, the durational liquidity provided. Right. How long you've held a token, et cetera. Two things that I would note here. One is that the majority, I think, of communities in the Ethereum ecosystem still have their token on Ethereum L1. And so that's true of like DeFi projects. It's also true of NFT projects, right? 
And so as much as I'm being branded as the anti-token person, I would actually say like what we built is a thousand times better for token voting indirectly, because all you would do is you would just take the holders on the L1 uh, on Ethereum mainnet, make that your allow list. And then now you can run your full governance on whatever L2 EVM chain you want. Mm -hmm. So now NFT communities, DeFi communities, they can do all of what they were doing before, but they can do it on Polygon or Optimism or Arbitrum or Scroll or Base or Zora you know, or mantle, like whoever they want, right? And they have, they have full optionality there, cello, et cetera. And so if you do want to do one token, one vote, which is, you know, especially for stuff like NFT community is pretty meaningful. You can now do it wherever you want. The other thing that you can think about is like mapping off chain action. And that's where it gets really interesting. Can you say, Hey, if you follow us on Twitter, you get to participate in this. And now everyone's incentivized to follow you on Twitter in order to participate in this contest to win thousands of dollars, right? This creates a kind of technical problem, which is like, how do you connect the off-chain action to an on-chain address. And I think this is kind of the big bridge that a lot of people are struggling with right now. And so I'll step back for one second and, and just make a meta point here, which is imagine you're an advertiser 10 years from now and you're trying to get, you know, best data on users on who to target. If you imagine a world in the future where 50% of data is on-chain and 50% of it is off-chain, the on-chain data is going to be way better for advertisers to use because now you have one person's account and you can see across all their different services, their Web3 Spotify's, you know, their Web3 Twitters, like how, you know, what they've done. And so like, even if you think about leveraging a contest with us, it's like, oh, you notice two people tend to vote on the same things in a lot of contests. Well, now you know they probably have shared alignment, you know, and shared interests. So you go into one of their wallets, you see that they have a bunch of like a given NFT collection. You can extrapolate, well, that's probably true to this other user, they're probably into it too. So on-chain, by virtue of being this like transparent data layer, is just like this, you know, in its current form. And and I do think we'll provide protections. We'll give users a way to like actually monetize this themselves using zero knowledge stuff down the line. But like, is this an incredible way to be able to like analyze users, understand them, track them, you know, cater to them, right? And create like a customized internet that is really built for individual user preferences. And so the... Okay, so that's my like tangent or stepping back. So let me step back in and say, there's a desperate need for this to happen because right now all advertisers, et cetera, are still going off Web2 data because that's the majority of data is, but it's not openly shared. It's not accessible. It's not interoperable in a way that they, they could be leveraged, right? And so this question of like, how do you bridge web, you know, off-chain to on-chain, I think it's like, it, it, it's a huge question for the ecosystem because once you can do that, everything's going to shift. Like at the point that people start to do more stuff on chain, they're going to be able to get a lot more access rewards, et cetera. And so there are ways that you could do this with stuff like Guild, for example. If you want to join a Guild, you attest that you've completed XYZ action like on Twitter or GitHub. It connects to their API, firms that you've done that. You connect through your wallet. And now you have a full list of on-chain addresses mapped to an off-chain action. There's also services that do this like probabilistically, saying we think this Twitter account corresponds to this you know, NFT holder based on their address or, you know, their PFP. These are all like really interesting mechanisms that can be leveraged so that you can start to create contests. This is my huge tangent to create like contests that are actually based on like off-chain actions mm -hmm. and incentivizing off-chain actions in order to, to participate in these. If we talk about Web3 as the way that we can put power back in the hands of the users, right? Everybody, it's, it's, that needs to be the only threat, you know, everybody's upset with the Web2 tech giants, and rightfully yeah. so, we've been made the product, right? Yeah. Okay, Web3 is going to solve that. And it's like, okay, but 
well, are we going to stop using Twitter? No. Right. right? Are we going to stop using Instagram, Facebook, TikTok? No. Like we're, we're yeah. all using it. So is there a way that we can continue to use those things, but then move everybody in this direction of, okay, here's a way that you can engage. Sure, you follow us on Twitter, but now because you follow us on Twitter, we're going to allow you to also vote on product features like you right. the example you gave before. And that's the thing is like, if, if you remember blockchain is just an open API, right? Yeah. It's just effectively an open data for people to be able to collate. Like once you're doing these like on-chain contests over time and you're building reputation, showing you're contributing, that you're earning votes, et cetera. And then, I don't know, some new DeFi protocol comes along is able to get all that data and reward you for it by saying, hey, you are meaningful. Like you've won these hackathons on Joker Ace, right? You won these grants proposals. You have like contributed great ideas. We're going to airdrop your token, right? Or we're going to give you this opportunity. Like at that point, when that starts to happen, I think everyone's going to have this oh shit moment where they're going to say, wait, maybe we shouldn't be doing stuff on these Web2 siloed platforms because we're not mm -hmm. getting anything for it. Like, whereas when we do it on these Web3 platforms, there's so much that we're going to get. Where, like, what I'm really excited for is like the people who like play in our hackathons lose make no money, are pissed as fuck, right? That they didn't get anything. But meanwhile, they're accruing this like massive on-chain reputation and then down the line, it's going to get them so much, right? right. Like, like that's that's what I really want to see happen where people realize it's it's way better. But you're totally right. Like in the meantime, we are going to keep, you know, following the network effects of these Web2 giants. We're going to participate in that. And the more that we can do to leverage that and bridge that and attest to that data on-chain, I think the better. I'm really struggling with... Uh your language of on-chain voting. I'm just like, sorry, of on-chain contests. I say on-chain yeah. voting, on-chain contests. It really feels like on-chain voting is what you've created with Joke Race. But you guys, you really use on-chain contests as the language. Is it only because what you said before of like, you're trying to make it fun and that's why you didn't go with on-chain voting as like the branding term? Well, I think, I think there's there, there's two things here. So on-chain voting existed before us, right? Governor Bravo contracts, which we built off of, like, you know, uh, Compound has worked on this for years. But to go to my other my point before, the unlock for the contest is not the voting, it's the submissions. It's the fact that you submit your project in a hackathon and then a jury votes on it, right, is, is meaningful. And so it's, you know, the contest is two pieces. It's a submission period and it's a voting period. And I would say both of those are, are essential. So yeah, on-chain voting is huge, but on-chain submissions... I think is just as big and just as right. important. Right. And without the on-chain submissions, then you miss out on the opportunity for your community to be involved. And what you're saying with Joke Race is you don't need to have tokens in the hands of these community members in order for them to make a submission or for them to then vote on those submissions. We can do that without them having tokens and we can do it in a way that ensures that the right people are voting because it's based upon actions that they've taken either on chain or off chain or do it with token. It's totally up to you. But like, I think the, the point is not to say, oh, no, there's no use case for tokens. It's to say the use case for tokens is a very, very small subset of all the things you could do on chain, like building, you know, token voting is like, that's fine. But that's, you know, five years from now, it's going to be one percent of use cases. Like there's just so many other ways that you can build. That are going to create better incentives for for your users and community. And, right, and so I'm going to read out a portion of your V3 launch yeah. blog on Mirror where you talked about this. You talked about incentives and the future of customer acquisition and retention, and yeah. you gave six examples of how people can use contests. So you talked about 
Incentivize people to use your product and engage in your community. Get fuller data on your users and their preferences. Get people to perform quests. Get people to hold your token and contribute it meaningfully. Get people to publicly market your brand. And then finally, to get people to unlock reputational incentives and plan future airdrops. Yeah, so this is where you realize that I am just like a pull string doll that says the same thing on repeat because it's the exact same six things that I talked about with the Li-Fi example, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true that what this achieves is a new model for incentivizing your users, yeah. which the amazing thing to me is we don't even need to incentivize if you have a strong community, you don't need incentive. The users want to engage. But isn't that an incentive? Like if they want to engage, there's some incentive there. It's their love of the product. It's their love. Yeah. Collaborating with each other. There is some incentive there, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is the issue that we have right now is we don't have the simple mechanic to yeah. engage, right? And yeah. what I love is I've heard you talk about joke race next to POAP, which is a sort of a, an ambitious comparison just because POAP has achieved such mass effective. It's such a simple way to bring your consumers on chain. We talk on Web3 Academy all the time about, okay, one of the easiest ways to bring your users on chain is just to give them a POAP, right? Yeah. It's so simple. It's so easy. Now, what I love about joke race is if POAP is the easiest way to get a on-chain activity into the hands of your customer. Well, yeah. joke race is the easiest way to get your users, your customer, your community to now engage with your community, Beautiful. whether, whether it be voting or in whatever, in the form of contests, in a contest way. Contest That's a beautiful way to put it. And I think like using POAPs as a basis for submissions of voting is also a great idea. Like, you know, being able to say like, you know, the people who got the POAP, like they're the ones who put in the time, they were on this call, you know, et cetera. Stuff like POAP, ThriveCoin, I think like these kinds of protocols are really, really cool for being able to put power in the hands. Yeah. I think I just really want to see, I want our listeners to understand that Joke Race has mass market appeal to everyone. A new product can be very confusing and a lot of yeah. people especially those who are not in the DAO ecosystem. Like if you're yeah. working in a DAO, you get a lot of the stuff we're talking about and you have right, right, right. these pains. Totally. If you're not working in a DAO, you know, you're like, well, why do I need to governance? Right. Yeah. Why does this matter? Yeah. Right. And yeah. so where my head goes is, well, if you can understand that a POAP was the simplest way to bring your community on chain, I think you can understand that joke race is the simplest way to get engagement on chain. It is very simple. It is literally you submit a response to a prompt or you vote yeah. on a response to a prompt and that is it. And that's, yeah, that's the goal. I'm, I'm talking, you know, leagues and leagues of, you know, pros of the, you know, all the incentives, et cetera. No, it, it needs to be as simple as possible. And that, that's been very much a goal. Even with our V3, with the new UI UX, it's like, it is pared down and it is simple. And, and like almost the point of being like fairly primitive, I think, in a way that we really want. It's minimal, right? I love that formulation. And so, you know, it, it is this interesting thing where it's like, I meet people who are not in crypto and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm building a platform for people to, you know, have contests. And it's so interesting because people are like, what? Like, that's never existed before. No one's ever done that. And you think like, wait, why have there never been a, why has there never been a platform for contests? Like, 
that seems like an obvious thing, right? Like, why has it not existed? And it's because you need financial rails to build up. Like, you literally can only do this with a blockchain, right? There are hackathon, you know, and there are bounty programs that are out there. You're just trusting that they're going to pay you. There is no, you know, like, verifiable code backing up that payment, right? And so it's a whole new paradigm. And the other way to look at it, though, is actually everything is a contest platform. Like, Twitter is just a contest platform. You're submitting something on there and then you're hoping people vote on it through what they call a like, but the like is just a vote. Mm -hmm. And if you get enough votes, then you will get more visibility. And so that is the incentive that you are going after is like, will I get more visibility by submitting something and having people vote on it? Like that's Twitter is just a contest platform. Reddit is just a contest platform, right? Well, and the, the worst form of contests, which are probably the most popular, are yeah. the follow us, tag three friends, totally. comment here, and it's all fake. It's all Fugazi. Like there's totally. nothing, you know, totally. and to, to boot, as you said, one of the most impactful things about participating is that I'm now creating this reputation around, okay, I care about this brand. I care about this community. And the more I do that, well, the brand would benefit from knowing that, but when yeah. it's all on web two, you don't, you don't know. Like it's you all don't get access to that data, right? Yeah. They can put out these tweets, you know, but they have no ability to follow the users who liked it. I think even Twitter's blocked off that API recently. So it's like, yeah, the fact that it's not under their control and it's, you know, they can't access it, right? It's a total limitation. You got to do a tweet titled Everything is a Contest. I want to you rant on that because I, I do think rant's the wrong word. Stay I want you to do because I do think you, that helps me understand Joke Race better because it puts I, it into the, this frame of reference of everything as a contest. I think sometimes like, you know, I think when we were pitching a bunch of VCs and, you know, people are like, how are you going to monetize this? And we're struggling to come up with answers. We're like, I don't know, like maybe this, maybe this. But the thing you remember, like every blockchain is a contest. A block, literally a block is just a bunch of transactions that people are trying to outbid each other on to get included in that block right, of transactions. Mm -hmm. And so it's literally a contest, right? An auction, you could say. But it's like, it's a contest for people to compete to win this race, to be included. And so the fact that like the blockchain itself is a contest for one specific use case, like you can just imagine how big I think the potential is for contests overall when anybody, yeah, can create these kind of rewards pools and these incentive models, right, for their user base to a waste to actually compensate them for the work they're doing. Yeah. Okay, before we wrap here, we literally have only gotten through like a quarter of our brief for today's podcast. So yeah. we're definitely going to have to get you to come back to yeah, we'll, we'll do this again. I want to talk about the cooperative chain thesis, cool. or as Kevin Owaki calls it, the ecosystem. Yeah. Of chains. I want to talk cool. about storage proofs. I want to talk about ZKs. There were cool. so many other things that we had prepped for today. But Love it all. before we wrap, we talk a lot about on Web3 Academy about the fact that we believe we're in the early phases of a bull run. Now, let me be specific, yeah. a crypto bull run. The way that will cycle through the rest of the ecosystem is sort of to be determined. It'll take yeah. time. And I also want to be clear that I'm saying early phases of a bull run, as in like we're yeah. seeing signs, not necessarily that like we're at, on that trajectory right. of a typical right. 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 But you had a tweet where you talked about your case for another crypto bull cycle. And you know, two thoughts, I'm gonna read them and then I want yeah. you to comment. Number one was reputation incentivizing everyone to want to transact on chain rather than off to earn rewards, access, power, airdrops, et cetera. 
And number yep. two was IBC enabling total interoperability. So any blockchain lets you operate any other blockchain. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So one, I, you know, I kind of talked about, which is the more you develop on-chain reputation, you know, as I said, that person who participates in like 18 hackathons doesn't win any of them, but has gotten votes from meaningful jury members that have accrued over time. Like they still built something really powerful for themselves. They built this resume showing that they have built valuable products and that they've, you know, consistently gotten, you know, rewarded for it and consistently been liked. And they can leverage that for job opportunities at the very least. But also because this is all permissionless zone, anybody could airdrop them to be like, we see your valuable data, right? Or we want to work with you. Or anyone who's hiring could just start crunching data to figure out who's good, right? That's the piece where it's like, once you see the people who are building on-chain reputation getting all that access, everyone else is going to go, oh shit, like what, why were we doing a hackathon off-chain, right? When that no one can crunch that data and can see it and can access it, right? That would have been much, much better for me to do in, in this other way. I will also say like one thing I think that's nice about what we've built with contests is like there's no way that you ever are really a loser. No one votes against you, right? They just vote for you. And so if you happen to get zero votes, that's nothing against you. You just didn't get votes that time that went to other people. It's not like people actually said, you're a terrible contributor and you're meaningless and we hate you. <laughs> the other thing I said was about IBC. And so IBC is the Cosmos, basically a bridge. And so what it allows is for any Cosmos chain to be able to interact with any other Cosmos chain. They can share finance, you know, with each other, but they can share other data too. One nice thing about blockchains is like money is just one form of data that you can pass. You can pass all sorts of other messaging. So for example, if you like make a decision on one chain and then it executes a transaction on another, that's possible, right? And so IBC is really special because it's it's really the only bridge that has like effectively been around this long and not gotten hacked. And so it's been totally stable. No one has ever managed to hack it. And, you know, knock on wood, right? <laughs> I think it's fair to say it's probably the most secure bridge protocol that, that's currently out there. And so there's projects like Polymer that are working on extending IBC to any chain. The larger point with what I was trying to say is that we are facing this issue where with all these L2s and all these rollups, which is awesome that they're all existing and out there, they're now increasing the amount of block space that can exist. That is making things much cheaper for everyone to participate, all of which is like a huge win for the system, right? They're also had tracking their own communities, et cetera. The problem is like, how do they interact with each other? And then if you launch a new chain, how does anyone interact with it when they have to pay the gas, right? And so this is just a basic question, but it's one that we're facing a lot, which is we support something like 40 EVM chains. And that takes us like two minutes to add a new one. But whenever someone creates a new chain, they launch a contest. This is a great way for them to draw users to their chain, right? To be like, hey, we're having a contest. We're going to give away $1,000. Tell us, you know, what communities you want to see build. Now you've created an incentive for people to start transacting on your chain. But they don't have the gas fee, right? And so, like, there are ways around this, you know, like gasless relayers and swapping protocols. But, like, overall, what you really want to start thinking about is, like, what are ways that anyone could just be, like, operating on one blockchain or running on one blockchain and that's actually executing a transaction on another one right i'm paying the gas fee on this you know with my one token here and then that's actually you know being passed over through ibc or related bridge to cover the you know the fees in the other one but more advanced like how do i make one decision and then it's operating on the other and you effectively like let each of these blockchains almost be like a computer that's operating a node in a way and they're all operating each other in this way so they can share users, they can share liquidity, and you don't have this problem that like to use a new chain costs you a ton of effort, right? Mm -hmm. And time and labor, and then they're not interoperable with each other at all.
it, it makes me think about Chainlink's cross-chain interoperability protocol, which exactly. they launched recently at yeah. ECC. But we're in such an interesting time of Web3 where we got to get so nerdy right now on yeah. all of this under the hood stuff, all of this stuff. Totally. It's all at the the layer that most people when they come into Web3 should never have to think about this. They should never be like, oh, I'm on this chain and I want to go to this chain. Oh, I need these tokens and I need to bridge. No, if you have to do that, we're never achieving that. Yeah, you probably shouldn't even think about what chain you're on, right? You know, it shouldn't really be a question. You know, the same way it's like, you're not, I don't know, you're not- You're not thinking about what internet you're on. This is my dial-up provider in order to use, connect with you on this provider, I need to connect, you know, no. Like, or what email service provider you're using. We all can just email each other. We can all just connect with it. Completely. All right. Last question. I know you got to jump to another call. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, yeah, what would you write on it? I'm going to have probably have to think about that one. I would probably just write jokes all the way down, I think is, is what I would put. And I would jokes care. all the way down? Jokes all the way down. <laughs> when you dig deep enough, it's, it's all a joke. We've gotten this interesting criticism where people are like, you're centralized because you're letting people create an allow list. Like that account now determines whoever's in the community. And you're like, but what's the alternative? Like someone has to make that decision of who's in the community for that given contest. And look, if someone makes a decision and everyone in the community is like, screw that, then they won't participate. They'll form their own. They'll fork it. The beauty of blockchains is, is that they're built on social consensus. They're built on people coming together to validate and say, we think this thing is true. We think this money is worth something. We think this transaction is valid because we all have agreed on it. That's why decentralization is really important. And I think like what we have done is decentralized. You can have a multi-sig of 100 people create the contest if you want to, or you can have an individual. It's up to you. It's permissionless. But like ultimately, the, the, you know, this is as decentralized as it gets because we are letting, we are turning it totally over the blockchain to verify. And we are, you know, letting anybody create a contest, right? And however they want, and then letting any community decide if they want to participate in it and if they find it legitimate or not. And how they want to crunch that data as well, right? Like that for me is decentralization. But decentralization is not necessarily credible neutrality. It's a little bit different because it is people all deciding what they think is true and what they think is legitimate. And so, yeah, when I say jokes all the way down, what I mean is like there is no serious correct truth that you can rely on. There is just social consensus all the way down. (laughs) All a joke. (laughs) I love it. I love it. David, this has been just a blast. Thanks for your time. Thanks for everything you're building. Everybody out there, if you have not checked out Joke Race, go check it out. Link is in the show notes and set up a contest for your community. Go experiment. Even if if you have a community of five people or you have a community of a million people, you can use this tool to bring your audience on chain and to get them to participate in a meaningful way. And you're going to help them build their on-chain reputation. It's just win, win, win. I'm going to go win, win, win all the way down. I appreciate that. Yeah. And if you throw some rewards on, DM us on Twitter and we'll try to feature it too on the side so we can help promote it too. Amazing. David, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for everybody for listening in. Have an awesome day. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. 
This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.